0: Everyone, this is Mike Lindstedt, president and co founder of the Nehemiah Project. You are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, today we are going to be discussing a wonderful topic. The topic is the gospel and its implications for one's life. And as usual, I'm here with my buddy, my pal, my pastor, Mr. Chad Wiles. And we're here with Miss Laura Retzloff. How are you guys doing today? Hey, doing well
1: a good day.
0: It is. It's cold outside, which mm. this California man is very happy about. Yeah. <laughs> I can't exist in humidity. <laughs> well, you've made it Prepared so far. Prepare
2: to fade away then. So.
0: <laughs> 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 oh, I need the gospel, don't I? Yeah, that's right. But um, before we get into our topic today, I just want to do a quick uh, shout out for our upcoming Establishing Hope Banquet and Fundraiser Dinner. Um, if you're located here in Mandeville or on the North Shore of Louisiana... We uh, would love to have you come to that dinner. You can get some more information at our website, tnproject.org forward slash banquet 2022. We're going to have some great speakers. Some of those people are going to be the mayor of Mandeville, Mr. Clay Madden, as well as Louisiana State Senator, Miss Beth Mizell. They're going to be speaking on some of the alarming trends that are developing in our area concerning drug overdose deaths especially the you know fentanyl wave that's hitting good old Mandeville uh, and suicide rates going up and all of the horrible things that are the unfortunate effects of sin. Um, but the good news in that banquet is going to be how the, the biblical counseling ministry of the Nehemiah Project can be part of reversing those alarming trends. So, uh, we'd really love to have you come out. It's gonna be at the Florida Lee Center from six to nine, December 1st. That's a Thursday night. We're gonna have a buffet and past appetizers with some soft music, and then we're gonna get into the presentation. And so if you're interested, go to our website, tnproject.org banquet 2022. All right, well, with that out of the way, let's get into our discussion today. The base text is gonna be the gospel according to Luke chapter 14, Uh, verses 25 through 33. And it says this, "'Now great crowds accompanied Jesus, "'and he turned and said to them, "'If anyone comes to me "'and does not hate his own father and mother "'and wife and children and brothers and sisters, "'yes, and even his own life, "'he cannot be my disciple. "'Whoever does not bear his own cross "'and come after me cannot be my disciple. "'For which of you, desiring to build a tower,' he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What a powerful text on what is commonly referred to as the cost of discipleship. Mm -hmm. I just want to make one quick mention of the word hate in this passage. The word hate in the Greek uh, means to love less. It doesn't mean hate with anger and vitriol. So what Jesus is not saying is you must hate, in that sense, every relationship in your life other than the one that you have to him. What he is saying is that you must love less every relationship that you have in your life, including the one to yourself, in when it comes to reference uh, to the love that you have for Jesus. So I just want to get that out of the way as we start. A lot of people can see that and go, I can't do that because I will not hate my father and mother. Or Jesus is not telling you to hate them, that would actually be contradictory to one of the Ten Commandments, which is to honor your father and mother. You can't do that while you hate somebody. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is our base text. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. And um, rather than expositing this text, what we're going to do today is kind of use it as an illustration of what the gospel really does mean for your life. Um, If you are going to make a decision and repent from your sin and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what it will cost you. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: The willingness to be completely desolate apart from only having Jesus Christ. To renounce all that you have, both uh, relationally and even possession-wise. We must be willing to go to the cross just as our Lord did. And so... Um, with that being stated, I think it would be very prudent just to have a definition of the gospel. Yeah. Right. So why don't you guys take that away?
1: Well, I think in order to understand the gospel fully, we have to first understand what we were created for. Um, cause that's the only way it makes sense mm-hmm. in, or, in order to understand the issue of sin and, and the problem of sin. In Genesis one, um, verses 26 through 28, um, shows us that, God makes man in in His image, and it says in our own image mm. He created them. Um, and so, and He created a male and female. In that regard, He created man in His image for the purpose of His glory. Or the purpose of life is to image God, to glorify God in in our relation to God. And that was perfect in Genesis one and two. There was no sin. Mm. Man does that perfectly, but. In Genesis 3, there the problem arises where sin enters in, where there, man and uh, Adam and Eve are tempted by Satan um, to disobey God. God had one mm-hmm. command, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan, as he's the father of lies, tempts them with a half-truth, saying, you won't die, but you'll be like God. Mm-hmm. And that's what made the tree good in their eyes to eat Mm because they wanted to be like god that's the issue of all sin is pride Mm -hmm. underneath it to to be like god or even to be greater than god in satan's case Mm -hmm. and therefore they ate they disobeyed god and that's the definition of sin the definition of sin is lawlessness breaking Mm -hmm. the holy law of god Mm -hmm. god had one law at that time which was not to eat of this tree
0: don't eat my stuff
1: (laughs) yeah and they did and sin enters into the world, and you see immediately shame, sin, guilt, all of it comes in. They're exposed. They they realize for the first time that they're naked, mm-hmm. and nakedness wasn't a problem until sin entered in, and then they want to hide themselves. and they <laughs> And then that discourse after that, you see when God comes and he starts asking them questions, where are you? Not mm-hmm. that God doesn't know where they're at, but giving them the opportunity of repentance. And instead of repenting, it was... We're We hit ourselves because we were naked. Mm. How'd you know you're naked? Well, it was a woman. Mm. And the woman said, It's a serpent. And then it's a, just a bunch of blame shifting and no repentance there. And so the Bible's clear. Romans, plenty of places. Romans 2, there's many places that remind us that through one man,
0: sin entered into the world. Mm-hmm. I think that's Romans 12. Um, Here, I'll can, pull it up. Yeah. We go got ahead. Romans 3, kind of sums all up, uh, sums up the doctrine of total depravity. Romans 5 talks about the doctrine yeah. of original sin right yeah i think it might be romans 512 that i'm
1: thinking of not yeah to. it's 512 yeah um so read those for us real quick mike to yeah. give us that understanding of the problem
0: romans chapter 3 verses um 9 through 18 really sum it up but i'll just read one verse the first verse in you know the collection of sayings from the old testament that paul quotes he says none is righteous no not one right mm-hmm. <laughs> that sums it up uh, He goes on to say, no one understands and no one seeks for God. Mm -hmm. And so that's just one of the many quotes that Paul says. And later on, Paul, in the book of Romans, starting in chapter 5, verse 12, begins to talk about how the sin that Adam and Eve committed Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't just an external act, but it also polluted internally, right? Mm -hmm. It it corrupted the the spirit that -hmm. they had. It corrupted the image of God. And that corruption was then passed down through the line, Right. right? And so um, that is the doctrine of original sin. Mm-hmm. You know, some people may ask, well, well, maybe man's just born as a blank slate. Yeah. Well, the Bible would say, no, that's actually not the, the case, right? Right, it's
1: definitely not true. And anecdotally, you can see that in your children. Oh, yeah. It doesn't take very long. Like your children start disobeying you without you ever teaching them to disobey you. You don't
0: got to teach them how to be bad. You <laughs> just got to teach them how to be good. Right. There's your proof. Right, 100%. <laughs>
1: And so that issue is in all of our hearts, mm-hmm. and so then the Lord in His grace provides the way through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, as First um, Peter three eighteen talks about, He's a perpetuation of our sin, mm-hmm. um, the righteous for the unrighteous. So Christ comes, holy, holy, like um, fully mm-hmm. uh, God and fully man. Mm-hmm. It was important that He was also fully man in order to be the sacrifice for man. Mm-hmm. And he lives perfectly, sinlessly, no sin. And then he dies as the sacrifice uh, for atoning of sin. Mm -hmm. Atonement had to happen for us to be made righteous. And so we're covered by that uh, atonement. That is uh, the doctrine of imputation, Mm -hmm. which means accredited to. So Christ's righteousness is credited to those who have faith in Christ. um, And his righteousness covers the sin of those who believe, Mm -hmm. those who trust. And so uh, eternal life is offered to everyone but the but it's given to the ones who put their faith in christ alone mm-hmm. and that's um we're we're saved in the judicial sense at the point of salvation, meaning God is a holy judge, and he's his he's right in judging sin, mm-hmm. the wrath of God is upon those who sin, and it's judicially covered or pardoned because of jesus' sacrifice those who believe are pardoned are are saved mm-hmm. are made righteous before a holy god in his sight because of their belief and trust in Jesus salvation and the promise of god yes and then we're kept in sanctification communally with god it's called a that idea of like a parental forgiveness that we continue in a life of following christ as lord mm. repenting of sin believing in the truth being sanctified in the in the truth, being made holy um, by the word of God through the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah, Romans again, chapter eight. Paul says to mortify the flesh. Like mm-hmm. so, in the process of sanctification through that you know repentance and confession that yeah. you just mentioned, the you in the sense of your sinful nature is ceasing mm-hmm. more and more. Yeah. Right, and you could say in one sense, Christ's life in you is increasing more and more. That's right.
1: And the process of salvation is laid out in Romans 10 um, by Paul where he says in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, circle the word Lord if you have your Bibles, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, there's that justification, salvation, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And I, I circle the word Lord there because that's the implication of the cost of discipleship as well right. that we just read. Um, believing that Jesus is Lord.
0: What does the word Lord mean? He's a king.
1: That's right. If someone is Lord over your life,
0: he's the sovereign.
1: What does that mean? Yeah. Very practically speaking, that means what he says goes.
0: Right. First Corinthians <laughs> tells us that we were bought at a price, mm-hmm. right? So we, we belong to our Lord in the in the relationship as a there's there's a sovereign mm-hmm. over a servant right. right and so that's one way that the bible speaks of our relationship to the lord jesus christ it's not the only way right. but it's a very important way
1: and that's this is speaking about the inward belief confession thought of who christ is that you and that's where it's, it says in in luke 14 to to, to even hate your own life mm that you would die to yourself, that that he would be Lord over your life. Paul uses the word slave in that way, like we're Mm -hmm. a slave to Christ, a slave to righteousness, that we're bought with a price, that we're no longer our own, that we are submitting ourselves, conforming to Christ as Lord, conforming to the word of God that he's given us. And the belief of that hinges on what you believe about Christ. That's where it says, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. So you have to trust in and believe in the the bodily resurrection of Christ for that faith to be true, right? We have to believe mm-hmm. that he was a sacrifice, that he did die, and that he was raised from the dead, defeating sin and death in order for that resurrection or that salvation to count for you. Um, that's why we would make him Lord is because we believe he is God. He is who he says he is, Right. And so that's kind of the process of salvation in that terms of believing and confessing and and trusting in trusting your life to Christ. So that leads into the implications. What does that look like? Cuz Jesus says you cannot be my disciple. What's the word disciple mean? Learner. Yeah, learner, follower. Um and so you in order to truly be a, a saved person that is evidenced by your following and trusting and obeying Christ in that way. And that's, that's what a Christian life looks like. And that's what the cost of discipleship looks like. And so going back to Luke 14, what Jesus is saying here is that you have to love everything less in your life than Christ, which is obeying the first and greatest commandment. I have no other gods before me. Mm. Jesus is God. He is part of the Trinity. And and so there is no other God before Christ that how that practically looks means if anyone in your life, including your loved ones, is wanting you to obey something other than the words of Christ, then you must obey Christ and not not the person, not the idea, not the thought, not the conventional wisdom or whatever uh, would be in that place. And if that is not what you're willing to do, that is evidence that maybe Christ is not Lord of your life. And that's what the examples of that cost of discipleship were. And he gives two there. One is building that tower. And in that day and time, the watchtower was what protected your land. That was It was a prominent uh, thing on your land to where the watchman would, would be. And all who came by your land would see that you have that. It was a security. It was a protection. It was all those things. And so... If you don't count that cost to finish that work, to fulfill the work that you say that you're going to do in that way, you would be a mockery um, to the people around you, and it would indicate that you're not actually protected, right? And that's I think that's the implication there, too. If we're not truly walking with Christ, if, if Christ is not truly Lord, if we're not willing to obey Him at all costs, then our salvation is false and it, it it makes us a mockery to those that we that to others when we would claim to be a Christian mm. in that way. Laura,
0: jump in here. What else we got?
2: Good stuff, guys. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um I've been reflecting on um Romans chapter 6. I know we've we've been talking about Romans a lot, but as we've been um just discussing the cost of discipleship and um what it means to be truly saved, um I think one of the the places where culture uh, gets hung up the most is this idea of needing to submit to authority, Mm. right? We want to like, we don't want to be submissive to anyone, you know, and that's the subtle ways that it creeps in of Mm. listening to your heart and living your truth and all of that. um, It it has this implication, I think from fear, right? Mm. That like, if I submit to this Lord, what if he's not a good Lord? right? What if it doesn't go so well, right? And so the the context of being able to submit to Christ as Lord first of all comes from knowing him um as who he says he is, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing him through scripture and understanding the true God of the Bible is very different than sometimes what's held up as the image of God, even in American Christianity. Mm-hmm. And I think the other part of it is that um again, what we see in Romans six that's different than this perception of like being free, like having freedom. And then now I have to come in and like submit to the Lord or submit to this King when I previously had freedom and now I don't have it anymore. Actually the way that Romans six describes it is no, you're actually a slave already. Yeah. Right. Mm. You're, you're, you're already existing as a slave either to sin or to obedience. Yeah. And so we see this often in, in counseling, where people are, people are struggling, right? People have hard lives. People go through suffering. People go through loss. People go through grief. People deal with anxiety, depression, whatever it may be. There's problems in life. And what eventually comes to the surface is that they're looking for those answers to how to solve it mm-hmm. within themselves. And it's not working very well, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Because they're on this. We're on this endless pursuit to make ourselves happy and content, without realizing that in that process, what we're really doing is worshiping ourselves, and we don't make very good gods. Right. And so it's not actually working out very well. Right. Um, so Romans six, uh, verse sixteen says. So it's this idea that actually, when we come into christ's kingdom, when he becomes our Lord, this negative connotation of of authority gets replaced by a loving God who actually sets us free from the bondage of worshiping ourselves and gives mm. us peace and joy and comfort when we're living according to to his standards that we actually then as you were saying Chad that this this picture of the watchtower then we're actually protected in that kingdom mm. right we're we're protected eternally but we're also protected practically right now as Christ stands in the gap perfect for me, that I'm protected from the pursuit of my own sin that wreaks havoc in my heart and in my life and in my Mm. relationships. And that's actually what it looks like to be a slave to Christ.
1: Mm, Yeah,
0: that's good.
1: And I think it's important that we understand what our greatest needs are. Um, We don't define that very well, uh, especially in our American Christianity. Um, Our greatest need is not uh, material prosperity or blessings uh, or mm-hmm. ease, ease of life. Our greatest need one is salvation. As we've saw, like the God's wrath is on those who do not believe. Mm-hmm. Um, sin brings death destruction. So our first and foremost greatest need is salvation, which God provides fully in Christ. The second greatest need is sanctification to be made holy, to be made righteous, to be made, uh, clean which the gospel provides as well. And then we need glorification, which comes in heaven. One day a glorified Mm -hmm. body um, made fully and completely new Mm -hmm. um, and have eternity with God forever. Um, Those are our greatest needs. Peace Mm -hmm. with God is our greatest need, not anything of this world, which then allows us to what Laura is saying. We are going to face trials and suffering. That it doesn't mean that um, making Christ Lord brings about peace in terms of worldly peace right. or circumstances. Sometimes the Bible is clear. Actually, it's <laughs> taking up your cross and following follow me is a call to death, mm-hmm. meaning death to yourself. And we're living. We live in a sinful, fallen world. Um, so, hardship is promised, and suffering is promised, and trials are promised, and God even uses those trials for our sanctification, James 1, and Romans 5, and um, many other uh, scriptures we can find for that, and Romans 8 reminds us that, eight twenty eight and 29 reminds us that God uses the, all things for the good of those who love Him for the purpose of making us into the image of Christ, and so having a right understanding of God and the scriptures also allow allow us to actually have the fruit of the spirit, the peace of God in the midst of trial. Um, Philippians 4 reminds us that, Mm -hmm. that we can, we should rejoice in the Lord always because the Lord is at hand, that he is Mm -hmm. in charge. We're trusting in his sovereignty and we're not trusting in the ease or, or the blessing of this life as an evidence that God is real or that Christ is, True, or that the Bible is true, mm-hmm. that we're trusting the promises of God of salvation and sanctification and glorification in heaven. Like we're, we have, we, we are to have an eternal perspective.
0: Yeah. I want to bring in a couple of, of just points uh, based on what you guys have been saying, but going back to the slavery image, because um, this idea of the sovereignty of the individual, which we've talked about mm-hmm. lots on this podcast, that came out of the Enlightenment in our history. Right. Well, it's huge in America. You know, like it's all about me and mm-hmm. everything's catered to serve me because I'm the sovereign. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you need to bow down to serve me. And so, how can you say that I'm a slave to something when I'm the king? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, Paul really makes that argument very clear in Romans six, but also Peter says the same thing. He says here in Second Peter, chapter two, verse 19, he says, For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved right so mm-hmm. if if i in my pride am going you know turning my nose up at god well i'm just enslaved to my own pride right like mm-hmm. my own pride is actually controlling the situation mm-hmm. and and the prideful person is going to be okay with that but then the question would be well what are you going to do about your death <laughs> There's nothing you can do, right? And everyone's going to die, and so ultimately, you know, you can take that to its logical end. It's like death is the great equalizer, right? Mm -hmm. Well, who should I trust in death, right? That's the next question, and what that's what we've been saying all along is that the human heart currently exists in darkness, so we can't even see rightly in this life, but we certainly can't see past the gateway of death, right? Unless God speaks into our heart, right? Like I'm using the words from Second Corinthians chapter four verse six, talking about salvation, it says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so we can only see rightly when God first and foremost makes the light shine in our own hearts, in our own spirit, in our own mm-hmm. minds, right? And then the question then becomes, well, hey, well, what do I do, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of summarizing everything you guys have just said. Well, what we do is we need to go back to what we were doing in the garden, right? I thought it was very interesting how you brought up, you know, God was asking, where are you? Mm -hmm. Man's always been running from God ever since the garden. Mm -hmm. And because we were created to worship God, everything we look at becomes an opportunity to worship something, right? right? Like everything that we see, could potentially become our God because we'll mm-hmm. make it into that, right? We're little idol makers because we're created to worship. Mm-hmm. And um, if you have any uh, misunderstanding mm-hmm. about how God feels about idols, just I would really encourage you to open up the book of Isaiah <laughs> yeah. and start in chapter 40 and just start reading. Because he makes it very known. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't he's care not, for them. He's right? not happy about it. He's very angry about that. And so you know what we're saying up until this point really is still underneath the idea of what the gospel is and We've also talked about the lordship part of the gospel because there has been an attempt to to really remove that element of the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Like, well, Jesus is my savior. He's not my lord. He's my savior. He has saved me. And one of the things that I've heard in response to this whole argument from people and that I've also read is, okay, well, what about um, people who were saved in the gospel accounts who didn't follow Jesus, like literally follow him? Mm-hmm. There was no New Testament, how could they know? Right. And the response is it's like, well, there's an old testament, and mm-hmm. the way of the Lord is made very known is made very clear in that, what his what his moral requirements are, what his law is. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality is as though without Christ, death and resurrection, we can't be saved through law keeping because I break it. Mm-hmm. And if I break it's like a mirror. If I break it in one point, the whole thing shatters. Right. And so Christ. He came to fulfill the law on my behalf. So if I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I will live forever because he lives forever. So there the problem of death is sorted out. But not only will I just live forever, I'll live rightly here and now. Why? Because it's his righteousness in me that is necessarily being worked out. And so that takes me back to God's original intention for my life, which is to image and reflect God. Mm-hmm. So again, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about God's glory. But if I try to remove this Lordship element, yeah. I'm not doing any of those things. Yeah. I'm not living rightly here. Therefore, I'm not fulfilling my original purpose, as you have said, Chad, mm-hmm. of imaging God, right? I must, by the grace of God, through his Holy Spirit dwelling within me, live righteously.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we're we're that far so in the gospel. We've we've discussed we've discussed a lot of theological realities. Mm-hmm. Now let's take it down to the practical. So let's go back to our text and look at verse twenty six. The first thing that Jesus brings up about relational, loving certain relations relationships less is the family. Mm-hmm. And if I if I go over to Matthew chapter ten, I'm going to read from verses thirty four uh, through thirty nine. Listen to this is like almost a parallel account And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So Jesus is speaking to something that is near and dear to our hearts, but also mm-hmm. in this day and in age, in this, to this culture, family was like the pinnacle of what is important in life. Yeah. It is like the family unit. How could you say such a radical thing, Jesus? Well, he tells us, first and foremost... That if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, let's just put ourselves in the in the in the shoes of a Jew for a second, mm-hmm. okay? Because this is this has a greater thrust, I think, if you put it first, understand it rightly in a cultural context. If you believe that Jesus is Messiah, okay, that is going to set you against your own family members, as we see after the cross, right? Jews and Gentiles already had very very um, uh, confrontational relations but Jews who believed in Jesus became as Gentiles in the eyes of Jews, right? Mm-hmm. After the cross. And so necessarily Jesus is saying that if you follow me, it's going to cause even people in your own family to hate you. Mm-hmm. Is that, are we tracking so yeah, far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so let's talk about this idea of what the gospel means for you in, a, in your own family, potentially. Mm-hmm. And then how, how do we cling to Christ in the midst of some of the most intimate relationships falling apart in our mm-hmm. life,
2: mm-hmm. yeah. I have an example coming to mind that I just kind of want to, I guess, preface because I think most of the time when we when we read this passage, the the first image that comes to mind, it, and we and we definitely see this in the world, right? Is that when someone would make a profession of faith in Christ that that would immediately put them at odds with their family because it doesn't align with the ideology of the family. So like obviously in the example of the Jews who were accepting Christ as Messiah, mm. well, that wasn't what the religious Jews of the time did. And mm. so therefore they're, they're cast out of, of that fellowship. And we see that, you know, around the world, um, particularly in places like in Asia or in yeah. the Middle East, right, where yeah. that definitely happens. Um, and we can we see that even in our own culture too, Right. Um, where being a true disciple of Christ means I no longer fit in with my family yeah. because mm-hmm. I have different values now. I have a different Lord, a different lordship, right? Yeah, right. Um. But the other thing that comes to mind in this is that we very highly value in our culture the idea of unconditional love and acceptance. Mm. Yeah. And how this could set us at odds with our family is that if Christ becomes our Lord, that means I can no longer accommodate sin. Um, And that if members of my family are making lifestyle choices that elevate their own, um, as the scriptures call it, they're being led by their passions and desires, then that might result in, in choices that I as a Christ follower and as a disciple of Christ am unable to support and unable to participate in and that that can can lead to um i would say i guess confrontation in relationship Mm. that um or conflict right where where um we can no longer be like reconciled to each other because Mm. you actually don't want me in your life unless i'm supportive of all of your sinful choices Mm. and um I've seen that play out in my own family relationships, mm-hmm. but I'll just give one one quick example of, I think, how this can play out in the church as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, several years ago, um, I, was, I was part of a church where the worship leaders uh, at that church, their family um, was very involved in the ministry of the church, other staff members, um, cl- lots of close personal relationships, years and years of serving the Lord together at this church. And this worship leader fell into sin. And I, I won't get into the details about it, but when it was discovered, because he was in leadership, um, there was a biblical mandate for how to handle that sin, mm. which it was supposed to be brought before the church for the purposes of, of repentance and reconciliation to the body, um, but also for the benefit of the body, right? Mm. There's, there's reasons why God in his wisdom gives us these guidelines for how to handle it. Yeah. Um, but... Um, he and his wife didn't want to do that. They didn't want to participate in coming before the church and being reconciled, and so it created this conflict where the rest of his family, his father, his brother, their wives, you know, the sister, their, her husband, this, you know, they were all involved in the ministry. Had to make this choice mm. between are we gonna are we gonna align with the biblical leadership that's in place and submit to Scripture here, or are we gonna side with our family? Wow! And you want guess yeah. what happened? Yeah side with the family they sided with the family oh. and it, it was so heartbreaking because you saw essentially you know the church ended up you, you can see on the other side of it what God was doing right mm-hmm. so um, but there was essentially like a split in the church at the time yeah and it was it was between people who um, wanted to prioritize the protection of this person. Over the lordship of Christ, mm. and mm. Um, you know that breakdown of unity that is called for in the New Testament, yeah. um, and you know even now, like they've they've none of them are in relationship with people they were formerly in relationship with. Um, they're no longer a part of that church. They've kind yeah. of all gone their separate ways, and. Um, it's not that there can't be redemption in that, but you just see like right, see this sword. is how exactly this yeah. is what Christ meant by this. Right. Like mm-hmm. there will come a point where there will be a choice right. between mm-hmm. either saying the easier thing because I I view love as, you know, just unconditional acceptance or unconditional love, which actually isn't biblical love, Right. right? Um, that I it comes it creates this conflict in my spirit where like I can't reconcile it anymore unless I'm actually rightly worshiping Christ and He actually has lordship over me and that I trust Him and His character and His nature that His ways are actually best, yeah. you know. And we've seen that play out even in our own at the field church, like in our mm-hmm. own mm-hmm. church, that yeah. when you actually submit to God's model for this, when you actually do treat sin as the Bible instructs us to treat it, that God that then swings the door wide for number one, like conviction of other hearts, but Mm -hmm. two for like actual authentic redemption and reconciliation that is only possible through the gospel instead of what we now have years later, which is still broken
0: relationships. Yeah. You have that sword that is um, Mm -hmm. brought by Jesus in that Matthew 10 text that I just read and if you side, you have to choose one or the other. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus mm-hmm. is saying in the cost of discipleship. You yeah. have to love all other relationships less than mm-hmm. the one you have to me.
1: And the the in that story, the the brokenness of that, what breaks my heart even hearing it is they've undermined the thing that was most loving for this right. person, which right. is the conviction of the Lord and salvation, and and either. Re- either repentance would have happened if he was saved by holding to the truth of the word or it'd be revealed that he wasn't, which then would allow the family and everyone else to pursue this person with the gospel for salvation.
2: Or even if he was just like the freedom of no longer being in bondage to hidden sin. Yeah. Because that's part of it too. That's right. um, Is that when things are brought to the light, right? As God promises that they will be, Yeah. you know, that's really what was happening when the whole thing mm-hmm. came out was God's promises were being fulfilled. The Holy spirit was at work and it's like, okay, we can either submit to this or we can run from it. And if we run from it, that means mm-hmm. we're, we're running deeper into right. slavery to our sin. Hey, you no. look
0: at the, the, the Eden example again, where are you, Adam? Mm-hmm. I'm running away from you. Right. Yeah, you're you're totally
1: right. Reconciliation and restoration and even a strengthening of faith could have happened had mm-hmm. they submitted to the Word of God.
2: Right, yeah. and I think you see that again, even that whole idea of when we do this properly, that it opens the door for redemption. Part of that is because God's heart in it is not just for the one person. It's for His church. It's for mm-hmm. His bride. And that when we submit to it, it allows God to then be at work amongst the whole body. Because mm-hmm. when you see... Someone else get get confronted with their sin and mm-hmm. inevitably convicts your heart to yeah. to to examine and yes. to say, "Where am I not worshiping the Lord? Where am I not in submission to Christ and that God then uses that pain and brokenness to create freedom in the hearts of even more people yes. no, you know right. and so it's it's robbing God of the of the glory of that of that yeah, work yeah, yeah. you know because you are so much more concerned with preserving your own identity Mm. um and at the time it feels like the easy way out but in the long run it's choosing the harder the harder path
0: that's always the case with sin Mm -hmm. it's like immediate gratification less suffering which we got to talk about in a second yeah uh maybe (laughs) maybe less suffering initially Mm -hmm. but in the end it's 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 way worse it's Mm -hmm. death yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um the uh the concept of suffering is something that um, is also not highly cherished in our culture right. yeah. uh, but but Jesus uh, make no mistake about it explicitly references it all the time when he 's mm-hmm. talking about the gospel when he 's talking about salvation, yeah. following him, being a disciple, mm-hmm. you name it any synonym suffering is an intricately linked part of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ okay. mm-hmm. and um, going back to our base text then, um, actually the one in Matthew. Um, I think it's it's very important for us to understand this before we talk about suffering because um, this is ultimately where it goes. In in Matthew 10, verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I may add just something in parentheses, whoever finds his life in the here and now mm-hmm. will lose it eternally. Mm-hmm. I think that's the teaching here, right? Yeah, yeah. Whoever loses his life in the here and now for my sake will find it eternally. Mm-hmm. And for my sake being the key point here. Yeah. And again, in, in our base text back in Luke, verse 33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, even his own life, mm-hmm. right, cannot be my disciple. I just want to read some of the notes here to finish up this lordship conversation and then move into the suffering. Um, here's the note in the MacArthur Study Bible. It says, only those willing to carefully assess the cost and invest all they have in his kingdom are worthy to enter. This speaks of something far more than mere abandonment of one's material possessions. It is an absolute, unconditional surrender. His disciples were permitted to retain no privileges and make no demands. They were to safeguard no cherished sins, treasure no earthly possessions and cling to no secret self-indulgences their commitment to him must be without reservation. The apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter three, this about suffering because he was committed without reservation. Mm -hmm. Paul really was. There's a man who you can look at and go, that guy's willing to go to death and he means it. Mm -hmm. And here's what he says in chapter three of the book of Philippians. Um, I'll I'll read from verses uh, seven, seven to 10. He says, but whatever gain I had, speaking of his, former accomplishments in his religious journey, I counted all as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God. That depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and here it is, may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Mm-hmm. That's where this. That's what the sufferings pointed to. It, it's pointed towards following the Lord Jesus Christ in His death and in His resurrection. The reality is, is that we have to die. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I'm not talking about a physical death. Mm-hmm. Like my um, ego, which right. is the actual Greek word that is used in Galatians 2.20. Like I die, right? Mm-hmm. My desires, uh, my, my assumed right to myself, right? That's why I love the slavery mm-hmm. image of being a slave to Christ. Slave has no rights. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no property. Nothing is my own, right? It's all been given to me by my master. Mm-hmm. And I must embrace this life of suffering because not only will suffering just happen, like we've already said, but suffering for Jesus Christ is something qualitatively and entirely different. Right. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about that. And
1: often God uses our suffering for the name of Christ as a means by which the gospel goes forth and people get saved through it.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's what Paul said when he talked about filling up what is lacking in Christ's suffering. Yes. Not that Christ's sacrifice was insufficient for atonement, but that this ongoing um, willingness to die to self mm-hmm. is a picture to the world that I value Christ more yes. than than this world, than this earth. And And like you were touching on in Matthew chapter 10, we see over and over throughout all of scripture, Old and New Testament, this concept of either or earthly kingdom or heavenly kingdom. Mm-hmm. You can't serve both God and man. Mm-hmm. You cannot love God and money. You can't, why fear men who are only able to destroy the body mm-hmm. over God, who is able to destroy the soul, right? You can't have both there. It's there. It's a mutually exclusive relationship. Yes. And I think, um, if I may, just cause I'm running out mm-hmm. of time, yeah. I'll just say kind of my last thoughts on this. Um, and then you guys can finish it out. But, this idea of running from suffering goes so hand in hand with what you were talking about earlier, Mike, of wanting to view Christ as my savior only and not as my savior and Lord. Mm -hmm. And again, in, in, culture, this pervasive sense of, of like, God is love. You know, Jesus just wants me to be happy. Jesus Mm -hmm. wants to like accept me as I am. And it's so contrary to the biblical narrative and, and it just doesn't work Mm -hmm. to try to have, Christ and to have Christ and my desires to try mm-hmm. to hold on to identifying as a Christian, and then also hold on to all the things in this life that I believe will make me happy, mm-hmm. because number one they don't actually satisfy you, but number two, um, and this is a, this is a quote from Paul David Tripp. Over again and over again, we see this concept in Scripture that God is willing. To sacrifice your temporal happiness for the sake of your holiness, mm-hmm. and that oftentimes it's only through um, being pressed um, and crushed, like we were talking about earlier, that your yeah. roots actually go deeper. That's right. Because um, the analogy from this is from the book "How People Change," that the the heat source in your life, right? So whatever the sun is in this diagram of your life it's it's what where the heat's coming from we look at that like the problem mm-hmm. you know my life yeah. is hard um, I have these unfulfilled desires in my life. I have these things that I want that I believe would make me happy or I, I, I got the thing that I thought would make me happy and now it's not actually making me happy. Right. And we want to turn towards the sun and curse the sun, but it doesn't make sense for the plant to turn towards the sun and say, how dare you make me grow Right, right when the plant came from the seed that was in the soil. Yeah. And so the problem is underneath the soil. And God is merely allowing us to go through seasons in our life where the heat, allows us to see what was there, mm-hmm, that it mm-hmm. grows up and causes me to go, oh, wait a minute. The thing that was happening below the soil wasn't actually true faith in Christ. Mm-hmm, it was more mm-hmm. faith in myself. And the only solution to that is to be willing to die to self right, and right. to rightly worship God. Um, they go They go hand in hand. You can't have just one and not the other.
0: There's no such thing yeah. as a suffer free gospel Mm-mm. it is
1: promised that you you will suffer at some level especially if you hold to the truth of christ if you hold to the truth of god's word you will suffer
0: hey everyone it's mike here if you enjoy listening to the nehemiah project podcast then we'd ask you to consider becoming a builder what is a builder a builder is a monthly donor someone who believes in what the lord is doing through the ministry of the nehemiah project one of the many things that we do is this podcast. Our goal with the podcast is to educate people on what the Bible actually says and to encourage people to carry out the truth in their lives. And so we need the monthly donations from our builders in order to continue this ministry. So if you want to keep hearing these podcasts, we'd encourage you head on over to tnproject.org slash donate and become a builder today.
1: So I want to wrap up this discussion on suffering uh in 1st Peter I commend the whole letter of 1st Peter to anyone listening but I want to look at um chapter 2 starting verse 13 all the way through uh chapter 3 um verse 7 because you know in the counseling room I'm I'm often faced uh with married couples and uh, and people who are struggling um within their marriages and um, a lot of times there is sin and a lot of times there's maybe one spouse who's not a believer and mm-hmm. there's these difficulties that come and that's why Jesus in our base text talks about the family. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes that's the first place that we find the struggle, and yeah. we find the suffering come, um, if both are any, if, if they're not equally yoked. Right, right. right. Um, And so in chapter 3, it starts with wives and husbands. And the first word there is likewise. So that calls us to say, well, what is he pointing to in that transition word there? What was everything that just came before it? So I want to read starting in verse 13 about the submission to authority Mm because this then dictates how we should operate within the marriage in this way. And it says, starting in verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So this is speaking as those who are suffering for the sake of the gospel, who are doing good, who are who are being righteous and following Christ. And because of that, they're suffering at the mm-hmm. hands of the unjust, those yeah. who would who would persecute because of that. And he calls us to suffer well, yeah. to not revile in return, but to speak the truth in kindness and gentleness and serve the Lord, not this world. And because of that, you may face suffering.
0: Yeah. Peter knew this personally. He suffered and you can find this in the book of Acts mm-hmm. where at the hands of the governing body over him. And during right. that day, he was beaten tremendously right. for preaching the name of Jesus Christ. Right. And
1: in and in areas where we are met with a ultimatum, serve man or serve Christ, we must always serve Christ. Yeah. Um, but that Servant of Christ doesn't mean that we return evil with evil, but we return evil with good, Romans 12. Yeah. So then he says, likewise, Mm. wives. What a powerful word. (laughs) Right? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When you see your respect, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, And you are her children, if you do not if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening, likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, which they are heirs with
0: you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Hmm. That's so good, there's two spheres of authority there, right the ones mm-hmm. outside the home and then the ones in inside the home mm-hmm. you know, the husband is. The, the head of the household mm-hmm. says the government is the head of the nation, mm-hmm. right? And so that's where that word likewise comes into right. play. And there's a power in that
1: gentle and quiet spirit. There's a power yeah. in that godliness of the wife. And there's other scriptures that would, would even say that, that they may be won by it, mm-hmm. right? Like th- This may be the way that your husband, if he is an unbeliever, may be won to the Lord
0: through your character. Right, and this is saying, just contextually, they didn't get married as an unbeliever to a believer. This no. is when both were unbelievers, then one gets saved.
1: Yes. Yeah, this is not speaking of, if you are dating, don't date an unbeliever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I just had to say that. Yeah,
1: don't put yourself in a place of suffering because you chose worldly uh, ideals mm-hmm. over waiting for what the Lord has prescribed, which is a godly husband and a godly wife.
0: Yes, and I, and I think... One thing to point out here, because you have the example of Christ suffering mm-hmm. in verse 23. He doesn't speak back, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have on the flip side of the likewise, you have the, the wife who's exhorted here to also have that, that quietness, that, that, mm-hmm. that, that humble and gentle spirit about her, which in God's sight is very precious. It's safe to say that Christ in God's sight is very precious. Mm-hmm. And I love that, that balance there that Peter has. Right. So I'd never actually seen until we've just been going over it here. Yeah. And then it
1: says likewise husbands. Mm-hmm. So this would assume a similar situation. Maybe a wife is not a believer, mm-hmm. but live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. This doesn't mean that she's less important. It just is speaking physically. She's mm-hmm. she's a weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, and then here's the thing. So that your prayers would not be hindered. Mm-hmm. That how you How you treat those that the Lord has given you to be an authority over, um, also matters in terms of the Lord hearing your prayers. Yeah, Um, and so the the Bible gives us all sorts of ways that we are to handle the suffering that this life would bring. Yes,
0: when we faithfully follow the Lord Jesus Christ,
1: and as we suffer well, because suffering will come, whether it be persecution from outside of your home, maybe persecution within your home. Mm-hmm. If the persecution is coming because you are just trying to be faithful to the Lord, the Lord sees that as good and precious in his sight. Mm-hmm. But he also says in the submission to authority, but if you get beaten because you sin, well, that's not honoring to the Lord. No. Um, so we must not respond to the suffering of this world with sin, but to respond with righteousness as unto the Lord to glorify God, even in our suffering. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we would uh, just finish this podcast by way of review that the gospel is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is good news because the bad news is, is that all of humanity exists under the curse of God and is currently experiencing the wrath of God. And well, one day that, that wrath will culminate when, as God has already set a day to judge the world through a man in righteousness, that day would actually come to fruition one day. And so right now, if you're listening to this and you are not a believer, we would encourage you to repent, to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, to acknowledge that he is Lord and to willfully bow the knee in submission to him because he's a good master. As as a slave of his, I love the fact that my Lord is a good master. Mm -hmm. He blesses me more than my old master ever could, Mm -hmm. which was sin. My old master sin treated me viciously, but my new master, the Lord Jesus Christ treats me wonderfully. Mm -hmm. And um, in him, I have eternal hope. And I would encourage you to also join me and Chad and all Mm -hmm. the family of God in our um, servant service to the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you. For listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.
2: Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.